morning. Would you join me in a word of prayer? Father, we, we thank you for that simple fact that Jesus loves us. As we consider your word and consider what our part is in loving you back, I pray that you will open your word to us in a new and yet tried and true way, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. So I'm going to be going to a passage today that I have preached before. Um, I did not know until quite late on Friday that I was going to be preaching the sermon. Um, And so I don't even have any notes. I realize that is dangerous. (laughs) Rebecca's over here giving me the the look. Um, But I was asked to preach as I felt the Spirit was leading. And certainly in my consideration of what we were going to go over today, I realized that there are a lot of you out there who are hurting. And I am sorry. Not all of you are hurting for the same reasons or the same ways, but but we as a congregation, as a body of Christ, are hurting right now. And so as we look at the truths that we find in Hebrews chapter 12, I hope that we will be able to find comfort in the hurt And I hope that we will be able to come to grips with what it means to have life after the redemption that we are offered through Jesus Christ. So, I have kind of an expected end, but we're going to get as far as time allows. So, here we go. Hebrews chapter 12. Maybe we'll only get through two verses. Who knows? Hebrews 12, therefore, since we also are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and every sin which so easily ensnares us and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. All right. Many of you are probably familiar with this passage. So the question is, who are these witnesses that the author of Hebrews is talking about. I've heard this uh, passage preached that, you know, these, of course, are the saints who have gone before us, and they're looking down at us. It's like we are in a stadium, uh, and they are looking to see what we are going to do with our faith. And I would like to tell you that I believe that is not true. You see, these witnesses are referring back to chapter 11, 
we refer to chapter 11 of the book of Hebrews as the hall of faith. By faith, so-and-so did this. By faith, so-and-so did that. Okay? Um, and it, you know, we, we have a museum here in town. Museum here in town, right? So this word witness, that's what I want you to picture. Picture the museum. As you walk through, you see this is the way things were. This is how people lived. This is how we got here today. When we look at the, that hall of faith, that's what we are seeing. And so the first point I'd like to make is, you know, as we are in faith, we are in really good company. I mean, think about it. You have guys and just... Thumbing over here to chapter 11, you have guys like Noah, right? Noah who built a boat in the middle of dry ground when they didn't know what rain was. You have guys like Abraham who left everything he knew, who left his family, who left where he grew up and moved to a spot that God was going to show him, not even knowing where he was going to end up. You have people... You know, you have people like Joseph listed, right, who remained faithful regardless of the circumstances that he was in. You have people like Moses who by faith led, by some accounts, like a million and a half people through the desert to a spot that God was going to bring them to. Um, you have Joshua with the falling of the walls of Jericho. You know, that was a battle plan that made absolutely no sense whatsoever. And yet with God, that was possible. You have people like Gideon. Again, 300 men against an army of thousands upon thousands. A battle plan that made no sense Yet with God being in it, it was complete and it was an approved plan, if you will. You have people like David, a man after God's own heart. You have people like Samuel, one of the last great prophets, the, the, last, the last judge and a prophet in Israel, um, and many, many more. We are in good company as we look at this history of faith that we have. But there's another thing that I see when I start looking at this list. And I speak specifically to those now who are hurting. Not only we are, are we in good company, but we also need to realize that we are not alone. We are not alone in the failings and the slip-ups and the mishaps that we have participated in. Let's think back through that list. You have Noah, and the first thing that he did when he got off that boat was plant a vineyard and get drunk. Ended up cursing his grandchild 
because of what his son had done to him. Um, you have Abraham who repeatedly lied to people um, whose faith, although he stepped out, it took him until near the end of his life to come to the point where he was willing to trust God with absolutely everything, even the life of his son Isaac, through whom all the promises of God were set. We have, well, you have Joseph, who was an early pioneer in the prison ministry, right? Not because of what he did, but that's where he found himself. We have Gideon, who, when God called him to action, was busy hiding from, I believe it was the Philistines. Don't quote me on that. Go back and fact check me later. But he was hiding at a threshing floor, threshing grain, making sure, you know, hoping that the enemies of Israel would not see him. That's what he was called out of. We have, you know, one of the big ones of the list, right? David. And while David is known as a man after God's own heart, he's also one of the ones who is responsible for one of the most reprehensible things on here, right? He had an affair with his neighbor's wife. He killed the husband to cover it up, right? That's, that's what David did. And he thought everything was okay until Samuel actually had to come and call him out. And yet David is a man after God's own heart. You also have Samuel, the man who called David out. And what you may not remember about Samuel is that Samuel's kids, when they grew up, were so terrible, they were the tipping point that made Israel ask for a king. And what we need to see as we look back through this hall of faith is that It has nothing, the only thing that these people have in common is how faithful the God is that they served. Not, I mean, you know, you can start to feel kind of good about yourself if you go and compare yourself to this list. But at the end of the day, it's not about those witnesses that have gone before us, it is about the God that they served. It is about the history of faithfulness that God has shown year after year, century after century, millennia after millennia. That's what we get to see when we look at this hall of faith. So, yeah, we're in good company. And we are not alone. And if you were to continue to focus on those witnesses that have 
walked ahead of us in faith. I mean, think about what they had. Noah didn't have any of it written down. Abraham didn't have any of it written down. Moses, responsible for the writing of the first five books. Okay, The prophets that came after him added to that, that uh, word of God that, that continued to build, continued to show that history of faithfulness, continued to show what God was planning, what he was working towards. And now, as we sit here, uh, 2,000 years past when Christ was crucified, we have a much more complete picture of the faith that they were looking forward to. Uh, verse 39 of chapter 11 says, And all these, having obtained a good testimony through faith, did not receive the promise, God having provided something better for us, that they should not be made perfect apart from us. Think about that. We have a much better understanding today of the faith that they were looking forward to than they did themselves. But lest we focus too much on the witnesses, let us put our focus where it ought to be. Let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, for who the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. <clears throat> if you were to just look at the faith of Mo- Moses, you would be sorely disappointed. If you were just to look at the faith of Abraham, you'd be quite disillusioned. But God has provided for us in the sending of his son not only the example of how our faith is to be carried out, but also the completion of that faith. Think of what this verse, these verses call Jesus. He is the author. He's the guy that wrote it. He's the guy that knew way back before Adam and Eve violated that first rule. He knew what he was going to have to come and do. And you know what? He let it happen anyway. This is this is where we get to sit. Not as shining examples of what we have done, but as shining examples of the faithfulness and the goodness and the love of God. Looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of God. 
everything that Jesus went through, the cross, the trials, the scourging, the mocking, the taking the weight of the world's sin upon himself, he counted it as nothing. It's okay. I can, I will take that. I will do that for you. Verse 3, for consider him, consider Jesus, who endured such hostility from sinners against himself, lest you become weary and discouraged in your souls. So the focus is changing here a bit. You see, this is the application part, portion of Hebrews. Okay, This is the, because you have been redeemed, how should you live? Consider him who endured such hostility from sinners against himself, lest you become weary and discouraged in your souls. You're in good company. You're not alone. You have a good example. You have a faithful Savior. And then verse 4 is where it starts to get hard for us. You have not yet resisted to bloodshed, striving against sin. In light of what Christ has done for me, in light of what Christ has endured on my behalf, how ought I to live? Is there something within myself? Is there something in me that is stopping me from being that picture, that image of Christ who, which God at the beginning created man to be? You know, the sad fact of the matter is we are all born into sin. We are born into a world that is soaked with inundated with, covered in sin. Not just sins that are actively happening, but the sins that were done sometimes by generations many, many years ago that the effects are still being seen. You can take it all the way back to Adam and Eve, right? We are still seeing the effects of the choice that they made. And ultimately, the reversal of those effects are something that only God himself can do. You know, there's, there's only so much that anyone can do after the decision is made, has been made, after, after a sin has been committed. The Bible's pretty clear on what the wages of sin are, is, Right? You can probably say the verse with me. The wages of sin is death. Okay? That's... Now, we, we look at that, but we don't 
necessarily understand what that means until we experience the effects of it for ourselves. The wages of sin is death. The wages of sin could be the death of a relationship, could be the death of a friendship, could be the death of a trust, could be a physical death, quite frankly, because there is a sin that leads to death, physical death. And guess what? We are very well acquainted with the effects of sin. I wish it were not so, but we are. And so what to do? To struggle against our sin to the point where we willingly shed our own blood as our Savior did or to give in. Those are our those are our options. Complicated even farther by the fact that we don't necessarily realize what the rules even are when we first come to faith in Christ. That's where this next part comes in. Verse 5, And you have forgotten the exhortation which speaks to you as to sons. Do not despise the chastening of the... My son, do not despise the chastening of the Lord, nor be discouraged when you are rebuked by him. For whom the Lord loves, he chastens, and scourges every son whom he receives. If you endure chastening, God deals with you as with sons. For what son is there whom a father does not chasten? But if you are without chastening, of which all have become partakers, then you are illegitimate and not sons. Furthermore, we have had human fathers who corrected us, and we paid them respect. Shall we not much more readily be in subjection to the Father of spirits and live? For they indeed for a few days chastened us as seemed best to them, but he for our profit, that we may be partakers of his holiness. Now no chastening seems to be joyful for the present, but painful. Nevertheless, afterward it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Okay, this one's hard. I mean, we get it, we think, but it's hard. If you find yourself under the discipline of God, if you find yourself in a spot where things are being brought to light, where God is showing you, look, this is not the way you are supposed to be. This is not the way you are supposed to act. This is not the way you are supposed to think. 
it hurts. I mean, it doesn't feel good. Certainly hasn't. Certainly hasn't for me. Um, but here's the thing. If God is doing that for you, if God is allowing that to happen to you, that is a sign. That is a proof of his love for you. I mean, come on, dad's in the room. How many of you just really enjoy disciplining your children? I don't. But we discipline our children because we love them. We discipline our children because they are not being, they are not acting, they are not thinking the way that they are supposed to. And sometimes that discipline ain't a pretty picture. I mean, I'm human, so sometimes it feels like, hey, kid, this is either going to cure you or kill you, and it's... but it's because I love you. This is the way that God deals with us. Now, if he's not acting with, if he's not, you know, if, if he's not dealing with you in that way, well, I think you have a bigger problem. You know? Oh, I'm fine. I've got it all together. Nope. I know that there's still enough sin in me that God is going to be working on me until he comes and I finally see him face to face and he finally removes the rest of the junk out of my life. So here we are. And think about the end. Now no chastening seems to be joyful for the present, but painful. Nevertheless, afterward it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Parents, show of hands... How many of your kids, when you discipline them, say, oh, thank you, mother and father. Thank you so very much for this discipline that you have imparted upon me. I am sure that 30 years in the future, I will be very, very happy about what you have done for me and the pains that you have gone through for me. No takers? No. It hurts, and to be quite honest, we find ourselves as we come before God in the position of little children. And not just any little children, mind you. We are the adopted sons of God. We are the adopted children of God. We have been taken out of a situation that we were in before, 
we have been given a new family. We've been given a new set of rules. We've been given a new set of responsibilities. And guess what? Adjustment is tough. And I am so glad that God does not give up on us. So what to do now? Verse 12. Therefore strengthen the hands which hang down, the feeble knees, and the feeble knees, and make straight paths for your feet, so that what is lame may not be dislocated, but rather healed. You're in good company, and you're not alone. You have a great Savior. You have a great example. You have a loving Father who will not leave you the way that you are, because the way that you are is killing you. So get up. Now I realize you might not want to you might not feel like it right now. But get up. Now, I find that many times the physical mirrors the spiritual. And so I want to share a little bit with you about how this works. This idea of strengthen the hands which hang down the feeble knee and the feeble knees and make straight the paths for your feet so that what is lame may not be dislocated but rather be healed. Those of you who were here last week uh, probably heard me ask for prayer that my back was out. And I'm sure if you looked very much at my face, you could tell exactly how I was feeling last week. Uh, It was so bad, you know, I was supposed to help uh, Callan and and the rest of the guys up here to serve communion. And as I sat down in the pew, I realized I cannot do it. I can't get up. My back is out. I will probably drop the communion plates when I get up there. So I turned to my brother, David, and I said, okay, I need you to go up and do communion for me because I can't. Physically, I cannot. And I was very thankful that David was willing to take that spot and do that for me. But my back was still out. And it was really, it was kind of humiliating, honestly. Um, Particularly when my brother David offered to help me with my back. And some of you probably uh, chanced upon us downstairs as he was trying to work on my back and get it back into place and get it back Uh, So hopefully I could begin the process of healing. Um, He worked on it. He pressed on it. Uh, I just about cried. Uh, It wasn't fun. 
I had to continue to have my back worked on for several days. And it was finally starting to get to the point where it started to feel a little bit better. But you know what really made my back feel better? As strange as it sounds, I went back to work. I had a job that required me to lift and to lift properly. And as I found myself absorbed in the task of straightening a wheel line, I didn't notice that my back was in the process of fixing itself. Now, why do I, why do I share this example? Resuming of function in the body is proof of healing. Now, if you rush the healing process, you will further injure what you are trying to fix. If you overextend the healing process, it may lead to permanent disability. So don't wait, don't go too fast, but also don't wait too long, right? But at the end of the day, get back up. Get back to doing the things that you know God would have you do. And this time, lifting correctly. Pushing forward, knowing that you have your big brother, Jesus Christ, in front of you, cheering you on. Get back up. Allow yourself to be healed. Don't stay broken. Now in this, I'm almost out of time. But I think we have time to consider this. Verse 14. So after you get back up, pursue peace with all people and holiness without which no one will see the Lord. Looking carefully, lest anyone fall short of the grace of God. So, pursue peace. Not wait for peace to come to you. Pursue it. As much as is possible, as lies with you, seek peace with those around you. And holiness. God is holy, so be holy. The idea of being holy is being set apart for service. So set yourself apart for his service. 
whatever he would have you do, whatever he would have you be, whoever he would have you talk to, be willing to say, yep, okay, I'll go do that, God. Looking carefully, lest anyone fall short of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness spring up, springing up cause trouble, and by this many become defiled. Your recovery affects people just as much as the sin that made it necessary. Think about that. We saw that in the Hall of Faith, right? We saw that as time and time again God showed himself faithful and as men of God and women of God chose to follow him He showed himself faithful. And the reason that they are in the hall of faith is not because of what they did wrong, but because of who they chose to follow. Verse 16. Well, I'll start back back again at 14. Pursue peace with all people and holiness, without which no one will see the Lord, looking carefully lest anyone should fall short of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up cause trouble, and by this many become defiled, lest there be any fornicator or profane person like Esau, who for one morsel of food sold his birthright. For you know that afterward, when he wanted to inherit the blessing, he was rejected, for he found no place for repentance, though he sought it diligently with tears. Okay, this part, if we thought the discipline part was hard, this is probably harder. He uses the example of Esau. And if you know the story, Jacob and Esau were brothers. And Jacob, his name basically means deceiver. Um, His brother Esau was out working in the field. He comes in. His brother Jacob has some stew on on the stove there. And Esau says, hey, I am so hungry I could die. Who knows? Maybe he was. But Jacob, rather than just handing over the stew, said, you know what? If you're so hungry, sell me your birthright. Now, this is a double portion of the inheritance. This is, and really all the promises of God that are attached to that first position, that birthright position. And Esau said, you know what? If I don't get something to eat, I'm going to die. Sure, where do I sign? And for one bowl of red stew, probably a lentil stew, 
Esau sold his birthright to Jacob. Now, you probably know the story how later Jacob tricks uh, Jacob tricks his father into giving him the blessing. Right? But pay attention to Esau. Because Esau was not tricked. Esau chose. And after he had made the wrong decision, he made no attempt to rectify it. At least in the portion that we are looking at right here. If you are messing around with sin, if God has specifically shown you something that you need to change, don't mess around with it. You may have already made the wrong decision. Turn around. That's what, that's what the idea behind repentance is. Are there going to be tears involved? Oh, yes, definitely. But turn around. It's not about the emotion. It's about the action. It's about turning around and turning back to what you are supposed to be doing. Esau didn't. And so when it came time for him to receive the blessing... He lost it. Because guess what? That birthright and that blessing, two sides of the same coin. But I want you to know that I find hope in the example of Esau. Because even though Esau missed it, if you go back and you look at the story of Esau, I think in the end he got it. It was after Jacob left that Esau finally started taking steps to please his parents, possibly to please God, and eventually he was reconciled. I don't know exactly where you find yourself today but if you are hurting and if you are in pain, God hasn't forgotten about you. But God is waiting for you to turn around. We're going to close today with a verse out of Habakkuk. It was shown to me recently. And I think it fits quite well. This is Habakkuk 3, verse 2. O Lord, I have heard your speech, and I was afraid. Lord, revive your work in the midst of the years. In the midst of the years, make it known. In wrath, remember mercy.
we continue to see our world get worse and worse. And we can wonder, what is God doing? The answer is really quite simple. He's giving people time to obey. We have any counting parents in here? One. Two. I don't know if you go to three or five in your family. Usually three in ours. God gives people opportunity to obey. He gives them time to obey. Now there's a cutoff point, and quite frankly, that's God's business. That's way above my pay grade. As you go out today, you might find yourself in pain because of God's discipline. You might find yourself in pain because of the discipline of others. If you know of people who find themselves under God's discipline, pray for them. And not just, I'll pray for you and forget. Actually, spend time on your knees praying for them. Because remember, they are part. They are a part of our body. Guess what, guys? You don't get to choose your family. God gets to decide who comes in. And God decides who stays out. You just make sure that as far as you are concerned, you are right with your Heavenly Father and at peace with your brothers and sisters. Father, we thank you. You are the God of peace. You are the God of love. You are the God of mercy. You are the God of wrath. You are the God of judgment. And may we leave those things to you that are only for you and do what you have asked, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.